0: I never thought I'd be sitting here telling you that I'm learning French. I mean, seriously, I'm so dyslexic. I didn't think I could ever attempt to learn a language, but Rosetta Stone is making it happen just in time for this Paris trip that I've planned with my daughters to celebrate my 55th birthday. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning app. It's available on desktop. It can be used as an app or on your phone or tablet. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a limited time, the Mel Robbins podcast listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash Mel. That's rosettastone.com slash Mel. Hey, it's Mel, and welcome to the Mel Robbins podcast. Okay, how you doing? I hope you're doing great because you're going to be better after this episode today, and I hope you got a seatbelt because you're going to want to buckle up for this one. And you might even want to get your pen out. You're definitely going to need to bookmark this. We are going to have a rocking and powerful conversation together. I cannot wait because you will not believe who is in the house. We have the one and only Dr. Romney back. Now, if you don't know who Dr. Romney is, that's okay. You will now. She is the world's leading expert on narcissism. She's a best-selling author, professor, and host of the hit podcast, Navigating Narcissism. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I asked her to come on the podcast to teach you and me the five warning signs that we gotta know so that we know when we're dealing with a narcissistic personality. And more importantly, she gave us tools on how you can protect yourself. I personally had so many takeaways from that episode, especially something that I now call the Chicago rule. And here's the Chicago rule. Look, you can't change the weather in Chicago. And no matter what you do, you cannot change a narcissist. That's why you need tools to protect yourself. If you haven't listened to that episode about the five warning signs of dealing with a narcissist, don't worry. It is there for you. You can listen to it once this episode is over. And I would actually encourage you to do that. And here's why. That episode was so powerful and so helpful to people around the world that you guys made that one of the most shared episodes on all of Spotify the week that it launched. And not only that, you flooded us. I mean, you avalanched our website with questions about narcissism, dating a narcissist, narcissism in the workplace. What if my kid is a narcissist? What if I'm a narcissist? And one of the things that I noticed is that so many of you realized, holy cow, I'm in a relationship with one. And now you got questions. Should I keep my mom and my dad in my life or not? What do I do if one of my kids is a narcissist? Now, here's the thing. You definitely want to listen all the way to the end of this episode because it's really easy for someone to give you soundbite advice on TikTok or Instagram and just be like, cut them out of your life. But today, you've got the world's leading expert sitting in a chair at the table with you, and she's going to walk you through adaptive strategies to improve your current situation while you are working toward making bigger changes in your life. And that's really important because this is not only a helpful conversation about narcissism, especially when you find that you're in a relationship with one, but it's also a practical and honest one that you're going to be able to use immediately after you hear this. So I can't wait to jump in. Let's get right to it. Dr. Ramani, thank you for coming thank back. You. Here's where I want to start because we've got a lot of questions about this after doing our first episode about uh, parental narcissism mm-hmm. and growing up with a narcissistic parent or sibling in your house, how it affects you as an adult, how to heal from it. A lot of people want to know, uh, am I more prone to dating a narcissist if I grew up in a household with a narcissistic caregiver? Well, it certainly sets you up with the vulnerability because
1: it, it almost normalizes some of it. And it also takes away, it, it, it robs a person from their sense of self and the fact that they even have the right to express their needs. Well, that's a perfect trap because now if you're not expressing your needs, the narcissistic person you need isn't going to meet them anyhow, you can easily get caught, repeat that same trauma-bonded dance of justifying this person's behavior, feeling that it's your fault. Like it really, it sort of indoctrinates you into accepting this behavior in a partner. Because it's familiar from childhood? It's familiar and it's also a... It, it becomes almost a psychologically a way of relating to the world. In fact, I've worked with more than a few survivors who said, you know, I met a healthy person. They were kind and empathic and generous of spirit and believed in me. And I convinced myself
0: I was bored with them. Wow. That's so true. Like it is true that there are lots of, like we all have a friend or a sibling. that You're like, they're such a nice person. All right, the, the person that you're supposed to be with is right in front of you. And I tell them if you've come from come through a
1: narcissistic family system and you meet someone and I boring's not even the right word that you're not I hate to say it is that you're not triggered by them, right? But you feel like it's not <sighs> It's not what you think love is supposed to be. It's just exciting. But think about what your life was as a child. It was a roller coaster. Good days, bad days. I'm going to win them over. <gasps> Today's the day. Oh my gosh, who's going to come home today? <gasps> they have a candy bar in their briefcase for me. It's a good day. Like that kind of up and down and and just anticipation almost makes it that an adult relationship that's characterized by that roller coastery vibe is what you've conflated with love. So when a survivor tells me I've met someone like I don't know, it's not all the Zoo. I'm like. Okay, this might be a keeper. Let's just keep going. Sadly, what I've witnessed Mel is that many people had to go through the brutality of a narcissistic relationship. And then after having to leave that and shut it down. Were they then able to hold space for someone who treated them with kindness and generosity? It breaks their hearts. They think, what would my life have been if this was the kind of person I had been with all along? But it's almost as though their psyche couldn't accommodate that because nobody's teaching this in school. People learn about this after they've been hurt by it.
0: Well, and you know, the thing that you just said that I think is really important is whatever that roller coaster was, that was your experience of love because you were a child. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's what you know. Mm -hmm. and so it makes a lot of sense to me so for those folks that are listening we got a we got this question a ton what well first let me ask this so if you listen to the first episode or you already know that you grew up in a household with a narcissistic parent what are the few things that you need to do for your own healing so that you can Be open to and interested Mm -hmm. in somebody who's healthy, Healthy even though you've never Mm -hmm. been with somebody who is. Number one is being willing to see it clearly.
1: This is a painful, like it's that painful awareness of, oh my gosh, my parent is, 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 is narcissistic. My parent is antagonistic. I have a parent who has no empathy. Because it almost is like leaning into this sort of, a lot of people say, who had narcissistic parents said, I felt a certain shame about my childhood. Like I knew something wasn't quite right here, but I didn't know what it was. No kid wants to be the odd kid out, right? Nobody wants to be the kid who has the fighting parents or something's not quite right in their home. And I think with people who grew up in those kinds of homes, it was sort of like fake, like to the world, like maybe your friends would come over and your parent would actually be really charming. But then when your everyone was out of the house, your parent was a rager. That kind of inconsistency really would leave people feeling like what is wrong with me. Mm. So it becomes, it really becomes doing, it is about therapy or doing the deep dive of, of being willing to sort of, look at these patterns with a very open eye, no matter how painful it is, that just because you came from a narcissistic family system, it doesn't mean you're damaged. It's not an indictment of you, which unfortunately a lot of people feel. And then to really take a good, hard look at where has this hijacked you? Where has this robbed you of your autonomy of your identity of who you are like do the hard work some of that can even be done if not just through therapy through journaling just being aware of where that happened how you talk to yourself how you apologize for things you didn't even do wrong how you're constantly putting yourself down self-gaslighting yourself like oh i don't know what i'm talking about don't listen to me how many people do that reflexively that's a throwback to that childhood it's about getting your house in order before you start going out there and basically replicating those cycles. Mm. Unfortunately, that's not what people are taught to do. And a lot of
0: people in their early 20s don't have the time, the volition or the money to go into therapy. Yeah. Are there personality types that are more prone to like having a narcissist come into their lives? Well, I think that there's definitely the, um, the a person who's
1: who comes from a narcissistic childhood. There's a vulnerability there. Listen, I'm going to say this mal to make this almost as an easy question to answer. Everyone is. There's not a person out there who's not. And I'll tell you why, because at first blush, narcissistic people are charming, charismatic, curious. Confident, they're they comforting even. They feel like they'll they'll they can take care of things. So if these people were coming in on date one, screaming at you and cursing at you, probably not going to be a date two. That
0: there's a whole phenomenon of love bombing. Well, okay, we'll get to love bombing in a minute. But how the hell are you supposed to spot one then if you're dating? You Because he,
1: this is where the trauma bond becomes a problem. So what the trauma bond res, results in, not just that alternation between good and bad, but you justify the bad days, right? So, oh, dad just had a bad day at work. I, I, um, Mommy's just really tired. We're all pushing her to, and then you internalize that blame. Daddy had a bad day at work. I have to be good. You know, Mom, mom's just really tired. I have to help. So like they're trying to, but they just, you justify, Justify. think of everyone in a narcissistic relationship. He had a tough childhood, has a competitive job. The deals haven't been coming through the way they want. They just want what's best for us. I mean, I, I mean, the, the, the justifications go on forever, but the justifications keep the toxic dynamic in place. And that's another core pillar of that trauma bond, right? So the justify, justify, justify. And so everyone's vulnerable because you meet someone and you're attracted to them and they are charming and interesting or whatever it is that appeals to you about them and they stay that way four weeks six weeks eight weeks three months sometimes now you're in you're falling in love with this person now the stuff starts to gurgle up, those those proverbial red flags. And what okay? are the proverbial red flags well, when you're dating? Okay, the red flags might be things like um, getting snappy when you give them a little bit of feedback, um, being really entitled when you go to a restaurant with them. So watch how um, they treat waiters. Watch how they treat waiters. Watch how they treat anyone, how they talk about other people, um, contemptuous dismissal. How how do they get along with your friends? Um, it may, may be that one of your friends, the one friend that might have called them out on on someone might be the one friend they say, you know, I don't, I don't think that friend's good for you, kind of thing. So those things will pop up. But here's the thing Mel, I was talking with someone recently on my own podcast. And in her situation, she didn't have a single six years of marriage, not one red flag. I'm going to make people listen to my podcast to hear what happened when that, when the red flags came piling in, but that someone six years. She's like, I am being honest with you. And people who knew me would say the same thing. There was no red flags. So everyone, I I'm saying this for one reason. Why? Like, I'll, why? Ha, like a going. lot of people blame themselves. They'll say, that one day, whether it's one year in, two years in, or ten years in, the narcissism shows up. There must have been red flags. I didn't see them. I must be an idiot. This is my fault. This is my fault for not seeing the red flags. And I really want to tell everyone: while some of them may out be out there, some of them may be humming at such a low level mm. that you're not noticing them, or they're so reminiscent of what you grew up with, they're like, "Oh my god, this is nothing compared to my right. mother." Kind of thing. But in the vast majority of cases, the red flags were there. And it's a combination of they were, they either people didn't know they were red flags, people justified them or people blamed themselves immediately. Like I shouldn't have criticized their sweater. You know, even though it wasn't a criticism, they quickly justify, but everyone is vulnerable. Now are some people more vulnerable? Certainly people who grew up with a narcissistic parent or parents, they're vulnerable. People with histories of trauma who already are sort of might be sort of struck that can often result in self-devaluation and other phenomena that would lead a person less likely, you know, less likely to call out the red flags. People who, um, this is going to be a surprising one, people come from very happy families with two loving parents and just happy, happy. Those folks are vulnerable because they don't even, they can't even believe this exists. So when there's a red flag, they'll often think like, well, we just loved each other through this stuff. They ain't right. no loving anyone through a red flag. So they might turn to that there are people who are going through uh, periods of transition. So like on the rebound, people will sometimes meet narcissistic people. When a person moves to a new city, has moved to a new job, has experienced a major loss. These are people who are already more vulnerable. And the idea that someone new is coming into your life, especially let's say new city. Oh, wow, this is great. I'm meeting someone. And you kind of go into the rom-com mindset rather than like, "Mm, this is moving a little bit quickly that kind of thing people who are in a rush are vulnerable people Mm. like i got my biological clock is ticking all my friends are getting married that kind of thing those are folks who may be vulnerable saying okay i'm just gonna have to settle here because i really want to be a parent and this is who's in front of me right now and i can't tell you how many people have gotten roped in narcissistic relationships because they felt a time clock ticking around marriage around settling down around having a child they they really felt like it's if i don't do this i I don't want to end up like my friend who ended up never meeting anyone and regrets that. I'm like, I tell you one thing they regret is meeting don't regret that person. is Exactly. And so all of these kinds of other sorts of vulnerability factors that a person can bring in can increase the vulnerability beyond what we all have. And I think that the idea that all of us that that somebody's not vulnerable. I mean, again, the unicorns out there are the people who really, really like almost see it right away. Listen, I do this. This is what I do. I'm still, I'm still, still played. People still come into my life. I'm getting better at it, but to get better at it, Mel, I almost had to become, I feel at times there's
0: a part of me that's become kind of closed off. So is there one or two red flags that for you are just non-negotiable? Like the second you see that one, you are like, nope, because when you talk about being closed off, because you are extremely warm and extremely smart and extremely generous. And so I'm just wondering, because I think that what's scary about hearing all this is that by the time you kind of wake up and you're three months into something or three Hmm. years into Hmm. something, And all the bonds are there and the lease is signed and you're married or you have kids or now you've moved in together or now you're like Mm -hmm. got all the chemicals flooding Mm -hmm. your body because you're falling in love and you start to hear these red flags. You know, I never would have had the strength, I think, when I think, like, you know what I mean? To be like, oh, okay, time to end this. No, no, no. Most people don't. And that's,
1: again, it's important for people to hear that because a lot of people feel foolish. Why didn't I heed the red flags? I knew it on my wedding day. I knew it. I felt it. Because when we, you know, again, these stories are so easy to tell backwards, but at that point it would have felt cataclysmic. And in a way, this was the only way you were going to truly get the lesson. You know, it's, it's unfortunate. And I, you know, the, the issue then becomes like, when I meet somebody who's a little bit too charming, a little bit too charismatic, I shut down. I'm like, why, what is this? And, and people are saying, you're, Mm. you're the only person I've ever met who walks away from charismatic people, literally. I've been at gatherings and a person's just that person. And I'll, I'll I, I, people must think I have some sort of bowel disorder because I'm like, I have to run to the restroom. The number of times at a social event, I'll say, I have to run to the restroom.
0: People are like, what did she eat? You know, it's interesting that you say that because I recently had a couple things go down, both in business and life, that were just shocking betrayals, lies stolen from all that kind of stuff that just knocked me over. And when I look back through my life, there is a very pronounced pattern of me being drawn like a moth to the flame to very charismatic, yeah. funny, kind of rebelly people. And I get sucked right in. And then I realize once I'm like kind of in the inner circle, oh my God, this person's unpredictable. This person like trashes people that Mm -hmm, leave the room. mm -hmm. This person Mm -hmm. has major mood Mm -hmm. swings. And then I literally go into a mode of just twisting myself in knots to not upset the person. Correct, that,
1: that And that is actually... That's actually a, a, a trauma response. Yeah. Not twisting yourself into knots to not uh, upset the person. Or even like, you know, like, oh, you're so great. Like the fawning
0: response. Those are classic trauma responses. And, and it took a couple really painful experiences Mm -hmm. back to back to have me look Mm -hmm. backwards. Mm -hmm. It was almost like life hit me with a sledgehammer. Yeah. And I I think that that's what it is too. You know, I, you
1: and I both worked in the media and you in a much more profound way than me, but I have to say over the many years I've done this, what I've always seen was the charming, charismatic, grandiose people never, ever, ever followed through on their promises. And and to much sometimes to almost to my fin- to my very real financial harm and all of that. And I thought, and I that happened in academia, that happened in other areas of my life. And so I think for me, those those things have become correlated in my mind. Mm. Big talker, big promise, big, 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 all that big talk, it never comes to fruition. And I got hurt by this. So when we talk about classical conditioning, it's like Pavlov's dogs, right? The salivating dog when they um, when they they heard the bell. For me, it's charm and charisma means you're you're about to you're about to either um, betray me, or or you're just full of BS. Mm. And so that, but that a lot of harm had to come to me to learn that lesson. And when I connected the dots to my own childhood and my own experiences, I saw I could see how I got played. And like I said, now it, it comes off as a a little bit closed off. I wouldn't be surprised if people would think that about me. And I do think that this is though, in order for all of us to become more narcissist resistant, we need people around us that will back us up. And where I'm really blessed, at least professionally is a team that calls BS, they'll read emails like, nah, no, no, yes, no, yes. And then I'll go deeper in. And sometimes I'm like, yeah, sure. And they'll say, listen, it's it's your gig. You call that one, but we don't love this. right? And so it's, and that's, did I hear that right? In fact, the other night I had had an experience that was really uncomfortable and it was, and I was like, was that uncomfortable? And I remember my team like, that sucked. And I was like, oh and i and it was th- so that you if you have the people around you who are actually able to to be authentic and and call out bs that's also another way you become more resistant to this nonsense versus it's almost, almost like having siblings that bond together like healthy siblings yes healthy siblings not siblings that throw you under the bus right and so and i think that because the problem is a lot of people are surrounded by enablers oh, Come on, he kind of seems like a nice guy and he's cute and he's from the same place and you're. I'm like, he's
0: invalidating you. I don't care how c- nobody's that cute. Uh huh. Uh huh. I'm sorry, as a mom, now I'm like, mm hmm, uh, thinking about my daughters. But what is love bombing? Yeah. So, love bombing is the.
1: It's the, the sort of the, it's where the charm and charisma turn into behavior. It's the early phase of any narcissistic relationship. We tend to only use this term for romantic relationships. It can happen in friendships, workplace, you name it, anywhere. It is this intense and overwhelming, let me call it a courtship, where a person is, it's almost an obsessive fascination with you. They are, is a person trying to win you over the classical kind of tropey love bombing is on your first day you go to the best restaurant in town and they get the concert tickets no one can get. And on your third day you fly to Paris and, and you dance till 6am in on the beach and, and it's so exciting and they make a scavenger hunt for you and they get you gifts. And every Friday there's a dozen roses waiting for you. That's love bombing. It's fairy tale. It's larger than life, but it, it, it I think if we only use that trope, we, it's tricky. Yeah. I was just going to say, too who can simple. afford
0: to do that? I'm like, that's well, a, they, like, how, how do you do that on a blue collar
1: budget? You can, a, yeah, I'll tell you how. Tell me how you take people to whatever's considered the best restaurant and you know, to your budget, like yes. the person's still going to think that's great. They'll pack, they'll say, let's go on a drive to wherever the cool place to go on a drive is. I'm going to show you the coolest view you've ever seen in your life. They'll buy things.
0: It might it's not be. It's like the whisk you off your feet. I'm proving to it's you.
1: Good night. Princess, good morning. I can't start my day without thinking about you. And then there'll be subtle things like take a picture where you're at. I just want to see where you're at. To me, that's this person stalking you. Why do they need to know where you're at? Of course, I am <laughs> the... Anti romance. Do well, not well, do not find me on Valentine's Day. A couple of is fine. Not like, but not on the like second date. Okay. Right, but it's a, a lot of that. It's it's intense contact. But love bombing just doesn't look like that. Love bombing may become really intense, almost oversharing, really early in the game. Like they're they're laying out like these this really deep, profound, true or untrue story about their past, about their childhood, about what they're feeling, and for some people that's the play because they'll say, oh my gosh, this person's sharing so much. They're so vulnerable. And now you're kind of in because they've shared so much. Love bombing can be too much time together. Our first date lasted two weeks. Like, do you even have a job? Like what kind of, I mean, what kind of first date lasts two weeks? So like when people say that stuff are like, I knew right away, I'm just like trauma bond. You know, like the minute people say that, I know that sounds so Cold, but it's actually not. It's it is this sort of people might say, like when I first saw them, like I was really attracted to them, but not like I knew right away, but the two-week first date, there's this intense intention. Mm. They spend so much time together. I canceled all my plans to be with them. You know, it was so their their lease came up, and yeah, we'd only been together a month, but we decided to move in together. Fast, 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 fast. The fastness is also a part of love bombing. It's an intensity. Mm. It's what I call an intense indoctrination into another person. They are winning you over. When you're being love bombed, you're so distracted by the sharing, by the obsession, by the texting, by the emails, by the gifts, by the quickness
0: that you're not noticing the red flags. So what do you do if you're a friend? Because I think oftentimes... You know, if you see this happening to a friend, or you, as the friend on the outside, start to have the red flags go up, and you say something to your friend, you know, maybe you guys should take it take it a little easier, mm-hmm. or you mm-hmm. know, yeah, he, I, I hear he wasn't that great with his last girlfriend, or like you just tried. Like, how do you approach it if you're the friend? Don't drop a dime on the other person because the minute you try what do you mean, to drop like a, a dime, it's
1: like, ah, oh, I heard they weren't great with their other person. He's moving real fast. It, this is it's it's a it's a something we learn from doing treatment with substance users is uh, do not make them defend their behavior and make don't make him defend the narcissist the minute you say he wasn't great with his his former partner yeah have you ever met his former partner and now they're defending them er, never do that you got to find the back door so how do you find the back you door say things with a like, loved one you say how, how are you uh, talk talk to me about your new relationship how are you feeling how are you doing And they'll tell you the story. Wow, that's a lot happening. How do you feel about that? You might be more likely for them to say, yeah, you know, it is a lot. Like I'm trying to go with it because I've always felt like I don't deserve a fairy tale. Now I'm getting the fairy tale and say, what feels fairy tale-ish about that to you? You're trying to get them to talk without getting them to defend the narcissistic mm. person. Listen, I'm, I'm tr- basically trying right now to t- train people to use therapy tricks here. Right. right? But that's really what it is. Because I think we're so quick to say, I don't like them. The first thing they're going to do is defend them. You've got to get them to talk about the relationship. So they start spilling on like, oh, I don't know about this. What do you mean you don't know about this? And let them talk and say, well... If you're feeling like that, do you think there's, you know, like, how, do you feel okay? Maybe, I don't know, like take a step back. Like you, you can do that. Cause you, it sounds like this person cares about you so much. And I mean, that's, that's a little manipulative, but huh? if you're trying to save someone, yes. you, try all, yes. you try all the tricks, but what you're trying to do is give them permission, maybe to slow down, to pull back or like saying, ah, oh, they, they, he wants to move in right away and say, Hmm, you love having your own place. So how, how do you feel about that? Get them to talk about the thing that they value, which is the having their own place versus what kind of fool wants to move into your apartment in a month.
0: Right. Right. I got it. That's very, very clear. So if you're spotting this, just get them to talk. Open ended questions. Do not say anything Mm -hmm. that makes them defend. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So interesting. I can look backwards now and see as a parent several mistakes that I made. Because as parents too, Mel,
1: we're so quick in there to want to protect our kids. I think nowhere else do we see that reactive, like bad, bad, bad. And it's, it's, you know, it's almost like you can feel the clenching in yourself of saying, well, talk to me about this friendship. And inside you're like, leave them. I hope you never talk to them again. You know, but you can't because everybody, when they're ambivalent about something and we raise the thing that they're ambivalent about as being bad, Their their
0: reactive response is to defend that Mm. thing because they're ambivalent. It makes a lot of sense. And, you know, it seems like you can't talk about narcissism, particularly in the dating world, without the term gaslighting coming up. So, Dr. Romney, I want you to explain what gaslighting is when we come back. I love this time of year because we're all thinking about goals and priorities and what we want. But have you had to take a vacation to the list? Because you should. And right now is the perfect time to plan your trip. And all you need is one website. Say hello to Expedia. One-stop shop for killer vacation planning. Expedia literally has every tool and everything you need to plan a great trip. Download the Expedia app or visit Expedia.com to start planning. You do need to be a one key member to use price tracking. Signing up is easy and free. Expedia made to travel. The Mel Robbins podcast is proudly sponsored by Amica Insurance, our exclusive insurance partner. Amica understands how important it is to protect the things that matter most to you. So they'll put in the time to make sure you're taken care of, whether it's talking through all the details of your policy or following up after a claim. Your auto, home, and life insurance are more than just policies. They're protection for the life you've built. As Amica says, empathy, is our best policy. Go to Amica.com and get a quote today. Have you ever heard about the your garage feature on cars.com? Here's how it works. You add your car to your garage to track its market value and cash in when the time is right to sell. Track both your car's historical, real-time, and projected value. And then when it's time to sell, easily secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. So Dr. Romney, can you explain what gaslighting is? So
1: gaslighting is a form of emotional abuse. It's a form of manipulation, but it's, it's a, it is a doubting of reality followed up with a, making someone feel impaired. And uh, the, so it's not just lying, right? It's not like I didn't move the checkbook. That's a lie. Okay. Mm-hmm. They did move the checkbook. It's not that never happened. That's a lie. It did. All right. So that up to the first part of gaslighting is lying. It's the second part of it that makes it gaslighting, which is the, you say, we we'll use a simple example. Did you move the checkbook? I always keep it in this drawer. Like I no, I didn't move the checkbook are you sure you didn't move the checkbook It's always in this drawer you know what your memory has been going lately this isn't the first time and you know you've been so distracted and stressed in fact it's affecting our relationship like have you thought about talking to someone now it's become a conversation about how you have memory problems and are distracted and stressed out of your mind but they actually did move the checkbook
0: you know, I had this situation. I can't really go into it in great detail, but dealing with a narcissist and a work relationship mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where I knew something was up. I would say blah, bitty, blah, blah, blah about the issue, and they would lie. Mm-hmm. And then they would point it back. But you've been Correct. so busy. Correct. Mm-hmm. I handled it. Correct. over and over. And then the more, the the closer I got to the truth, the more I noticed this rage, like this Ugh. it's, it's, it's in, in the narcissists that I now see that I have dealt with, whether it's in work or in life or relationships or friendships, there's always this moment that I call that, you know, in the Bravo, uh, New Jer- Real Housewives of New Jersey, that famous clip where that woman flips over yes, the table. Yes. Yes. And I don't like even watch it. And rage. I
1: know that. Yeah. It's rage. Yeah. It's, uh, that's a great narcissistic moment. So narcissist. Yes narcissistic rage is a thing? No, it's absolutely a thing. It is a, because it's a rage that's set off by their thin skinned, uh, reactive sensitivity, right? Something that does not require a table being flipped over. I don't know that anything anyone could say to you would be a table being flipped over, right? I mean, short of like, I don't know, I, I killed your best friend. I suppose I might flip a table over at that point, but short of that. No table flipping and table these very dramatic, dysregulated gestures. And afterwards they'll soft pedal it or downplay it
0: or give you a pseudo apology and then just do it again. Yeah, wow. Are there other forms of gaslighting uh, that might surprise us? You know, like yeah, there's that sort of like lying and then flipping it back on you. Mm-hmm. But are there other forms of gaslighting that, that, that surprise people? You know in some ways there's
1: there's other things that are gaslighty like a um like the silent treatment in a way can have a mm. gas, gaslighty feel because you start feeling like you're losing your mind, you know? So that's a great example of sort of a, a, a gaslighty behavior. At some level, denial can have a gaslighty feel. I mean, again, gaslighting in its purest form is the denial of reality and then telling you you're, there's something wrong with you, right? So that's the sequence of it. But it is a... Um, but it can take these other kinds of you know these other sorts of um like can't you take a joke is a great example of gaslighting you're too sensitive yeah you're too sensitive you can't you take a joke is a great example of they insult you all right you have a reaction to that like that was not okay. That, it was in front of a group of people. What were you thinking? I didn't mean it that I way. Mean, I mean, I, can't you take a joke? So now you're this sort of hypersensitized, hyperreactive person who can't take something that was allegedly a joke, even though the tone or anything, can't you take a joke? It's, and again, I mean, I, I think comics do this all the time. I mean, I don't oh, know, being a comedian relationship is probably a tough, because probably everything's a joke, right? So, um, but it's a, uh, that. that's another great example of something you don't realize it's a gaslighting.
0: Okay. So now we are at the point of the podcast where I feel like we have popped the popcorn and everybody listening is going, Oh God, like (laughs) I'm spotting narcissists everywhere. So let's start to talk about what do you do? What do you do? Um, and let's start with the example of how do you break up with a narcissist? Not every narcissistic relationship
1: ends. Keep this in mind. I think that should it, Listen, if I ran the world, sure, but I don't run the world. And I also know that for some people, they're saying, you know what, I'm not going to divorce my parent. There's reasons of culture, reasons of other people in my family that matter to me, um, my own sense of duty and obligation and responsibility. I see them clearly now though, and I'm going to interact with them differently, but I'm not going to end all contact with them. Okay. Okay. There are many people, I'd say 50% of people in narcissistic marriages stay in long-term committed relationships stay. And I understand that. And I don't think that there, there should be a pressure to go. Cause when there's that pressure to go, what I see
0: is a lost opportunity to help that person heal and grow, even while they stay in it. So by the person heal and grow, you're talking about the person who's in the relationship. Yes. Because as mm-hmm. we, we learn, you can't change the weather in not. Chicago and you cannot change well, We're not changing the narcissist. That's you, not even on the table. Well, and, and and it's important for everybody to hear this because you are listening to the world's leading expert on this who has had a clinical practice, who has been an academic, who is sought after by everybody on this topic. You have been in clinical settings treating narcissists who have come in looking for help Mm -hmm. because it now serves them because the board of directors is now getting Mm -hmm. ready to fire them or their their spouse is ready to divorce them
1: or they genuinely feel that everyone's out to get them they're there i mean remember narcissistic people are very victimized if things aren't going their way everyone's out to get me i have a target on my back which on which on that kind of thing how come everyone's out to get me how come life's so unfair
0: to me yep yep and if you are in a clinical setting and you are working with a narcissist who is self-motivated to try to change, Mm -hmm. how much can they change? It's a
1: great question. So I've, I've worked with many clients like this. You're going to get the best we can hope for is a little bit more accountability. They will still have rage, but they might catch it and apologize a little bit more. They are still going to roll their eyes when they don't want to listen to someone, but they'll maybe do it less. Um, They'll huff and puff when they're made to wait in the line at the airport, but they won't scream at the gate agent. Um, You get, they they can sprint through some stuff. You can get them to sprint through some stuff, but they're never going to be marathoners. They're still going to drop the ball a lot. I've worked with people who once they learned what it meant to stop being This way, which meant empathy, listening to people, being present, holding space for them, being accountable for their bad behavior, um, uh, not getting angry at people or sharing their feelings. I had one person say to me, This is what this is about. And I said, Um, yeah. So (laughs) we said, I want to break in therapy for a little while. And in that period of time, he divorced his wife and broke up with his mistress. And I said, oh, and he's like, you know what? And this is, he said, I don't want to hurt these people. I really don't want to hurt people, but I can see they're getting hurt. And you've clearly pointed that out in here that I am hurting them. Because I would say that that's, I mean, how do you think they felt? We did a lot of what's called mentalization work, forcing the person to think about how do you think that other person feels. And in a the therapy room, if they scream at me, I'd be like, bye, out. You're not my client anymore. So they." Um, they, he said, I don't want to hurt them, but I don't want to listen to them. I'm not interested in their BS. I'm not interested in their feelings. Like, I could do it for 10 minutes, but this hours thing, no. I want to live in my own place and I miss sex. So, I found someone and I pay her every two weeks and she comes by and I don't want her to wake up next to me. And sounds like a real peach. Okay. But was I, you know what? I'd say kind of a peach. I wasn't mad at him. He, his, ex-wife can now go and find is no longer chase she may still wonder so Why what is if I not you enough? do
0: if you're the ex-wife because i think one of the other things that i've learned from you is that the damage that a narcissist yeah. does she's got to go do her
1: work now i mean and she's what gonna, is that yeah. work that work is learning about narcissism understanding you are not to blame under, it's almost like a person is going to be less frustrated by their car breaking down if they know how their car works Right? So now you're yep. like, oh, this mechanic's taking advantage of me. I'm like, nah, now you know how to change your own carburetor. Like I'm teaching you how to, to, to fix this thing. Got okay. It. And the fix is not in them. It's in
0: you. Because remember, you ain't changing the weather in you're Chicago. you not changing weather in Chicago. And, and, and I, ultimately the person that you treated that would do these very intense Mm -hmm. visualization exercises to try to understand empathy. The only thing that happened is that he gained the knowledge to go, I'm not doing that. And here's the thing, though, that to me is a form of empathy, because I'll tell you this,
1: instead of saying, well, she needs to step up, she needs to meet me where I'm at. Mm -hmm. He's like, I don't want to hurt these people. And I am going to keep hurting them because
0: if you think I'm going to sit here and listen to their BS feelings without rolling my eyes, you're high. So Dr. Romani, you have really helped me because there were kind of some major takeaways that I've learned from you. One being that you don't change the weather in Chicago. You're not changing the behavior of a narcissist or the brain of one, period. Second, that narcissists are made during childhood. They're not necessarily born that way. They're not. They're definitely not born that way. The third thing is that if it's truly somebody with a narcissistic personality, they don't even know they're doing it. It's not like it is a conscious behavior. It is so ingrained in in how they behave that it's like a reaction to situations. Correct. But this takes, this is an important flip I
1: need to make on that. Because people say, well, if they don't know, then I can't be mad at them. To which I say, yes, you can. Uh, we recently had a YouTube video, basically, is that multiple things can be true. Mm-hmm. And nowhere is that more true than in a narcissistic relationship. This person had a tough childhood. Yep. This person invalidates me every day. Yup. We have kids together. Yup. They're not going to stop doing this. Yep. You see what I'm saying? Like, yes.
0: All those things can be true at the same time. What is the most important truth for somebody that is listening right now who realizes, oh my God, I'm in a relationship with a narcissist. What is the most important truth that you want that person to start to think about and embrace? This is not your fault.
1: You're not responsible for somebody else's behavior. You're not. And I mean, at some level, maybe we could say that about our children's behavior to a point, but even if there's a point that that goes away, right? You are not responsible for the, well, they're reacting to me. No, they're reacting. And there's other ways to react. So they could they could calmly say to you, I, I don't like how you're talking to me and I need a minute. Can teach them those things. They can go to therapy and learn that. But they feel entitled to their reactions. Mm. They feel entitled to their rage. This is how I react. I, this is who I am. And that's the other thing you'll hear. Authentically, this is who I am. To which I want people to say, then maybe that doesn't work for you. And listen, Mel, there's many a person out there who waits till their youngest child turns 18 and that's the day they file for divorce.
0: Yep. Wow. You know, the other thing that I learned from you today that was just a game changer was when you said you are trained to believe that doing something that a narcissist doesn't like is wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. That's where the guilt, mm-hmm. where the comes, guilt from. comes from. That's where it comes from. That you learned guilt because somebody made you believe that it's wrong to disappoint them. Correct. Correct. And and because you
1: learn that, you learn that as a child. That is one of those things that gets indoctrinated in childhood. And then you carry that into any relationship where there feels like there's a power difference or somebody is more dominant. And that's why people like this will repeat these cycles at work, repeat them in
0: intimate relationships. And even what do you friendships? do if your boss is narcissist? Oh, like they're constantly raging at you. They're, you know, they're, they're unpredictable. They take credit for everything. How do you handle that situation? Here's the thing. Workplace situations are interesting because, you know,
1: it's, I understand people need jobs. And sometimes p- people say, I am never going to find a job that pays me this much. Like I'm making, and I, I'm my primary primary bread breadwinner in my situation. Then we go back to that radical acceptance. You are in a job where you're going to be raged at. In the workplace, I say to people, you got to document the hell out of this. you got to make sure you don't take meetings alone. You save every email. You save every voicemail. You save every text message. Because if you ever need to engage in any kind of HR or litigation, you're going to need that. It's impossible to push on workplace issues without that. And even then, workplace bullying isn't against the law. It's not. And so it's really, really hard to do that much with it. Um,
0: when you say radical acceptance, what exactly does that mean? So you're in a situation, because I saw this in, early in my career. I was a lawyer. I was a public defender first. And then when we moved to Boston, I worked in a large law firm. Mm-hmm. And the amount of yelling that mm-hmm. came out of partners' imagine. offices yep, and the shaming and the like just demeaning mm-hmm. way that people were spoken oh. to and yelled at during the hallway. And it was tolerated. Because that dude brought a lot of money exact, into the firm. It's, it's what I call the golden goose phenomenon. And it's
1: why in a workplace, if you recognize the golden goose phenomenon as a play, meaning that there's no way the people higher up in the leadership are going to remove this rager because they're bringing in too much money. Nobody kills the golden goose. Yeah. Then you have to ask yourself, where do I fit into this? I mean, in most cases, Mel, I had to say that the only, po- the only good ending to it, either if you're lucky, and this is luck when that narcissistic manager, boss, or person is removed, usually because institutional organizational settings kind of stink from the head down. Like there's a culture that right, was, right, that that was sort of fostered. It. Same that, family. Yeah. It's very unlikely that that will happen, but sometimes people get lucky in their one division that happens. But if that doesn't happen, most people need to ultimately leave. Yes, and for, It can be a huge career change. People will say, I'm out. I cannot work like this. Some people might modify what they do. They'll say, you know what? I am going to not make, I'm going to take Take a huge financial risk, and I'm going to put out my legal shingle, and I'm going to open a small practice.
0: There's way too many companies and jobs out there Mm to tolerate Mm -hmm. that bullshit. I agree. I agree,
1: and it's taken years off. It's uh, in fact workplace. This kind of workplace antagonism is a unique kind of stress that has actually been found to be quite associated with physical health problems. And I think a lot of that is because for some reason, workplace narcissistic abuse keeps people up at night. And I think it's because you come home, you're exhausted and then you wake up in the middle of the night and you're like, I can't, what am I, you know, I'm going to get in trouble tomorrow. ruminate, 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 ruminate. And that goes on day after day after day. I mean, these are bosses who have no problem calling, you know, interrupting a person on their vacation saying, get in here now. And, and, um, you're having to clean up their mistakes. Like you said, they take credit for your work. They gaslight. Um, these are environments of fear. It's, it's very triangulated where some people trying to get on the good side of the narcissistic person. I mean, it's chaos. It's chaos. And I have never seen anyone successfully pull it off. You'll even see in some of the higher profile Me Too narcissism scandals we've seen. People are like, I just want to work on one film that gets an Oscar and that's going to help my career. But you know what? You have to live with the moral injury for the rest of your life that you were part of that machine. And... You're not going to change the weather in Chicago. You're not going to change the weather in Chicago. And you're also going to have to live with this blood on your hands, which is an act, a different level that people in workplace settings will sometimes say, this
0: is what I worked in. And what does that make me? Okay. When we come back, Dr. Romani, I know you have amazing tools that anybody can use when they're dealing with a narcissist. My personal favorite has to do with gray rocks. If you want to know what that means, you're going to have to stick around after the short break. As long as you're on vacation, you're happy, right? But the truth is, some vacations are better than others. And there's one that's better than all of them. Celebrity Cruises. With rooms, food, and service like theirs, you'll never want a vacation any other way. They even have weekend Caribbean escapes for a quick getaway. So visit Celebrity.com, contact your travel advisor, or call 1-800-CELEBRITY and see why nothing comes close to Celebrity Cruises. Ships Registry, Malta, and Ecuador. As a business-to-business marketer, your needs are unique. B2B buying cycles are long and your customers face incredibly complex decisions. Isn't it time you had a marketing platform built specifically for you? LinkedIn Ads empowers marketers like you with solutions, for you and your customers. LinkedIn ads allow you to build the right relationships, drive results and reach your customers in a respectful environment. You'll have direct access to and build relationships with decision makers, a billion members, 180 million senior level executives and 10 million C-level executives. You'll be able to drive results with targeting and measurement tools built specifically for B2B. In technology, LinkedIn generated two to five times higher return on ad spend than any other social media platforms. You'll work with a partner who respects the B2B world you operate in. 79% of B2B content marketers said LinkedIn produces the best results for paid media. Make B2B marketing everything it can be and get a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash Mel to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash Mel Terms and conditions apply. So one of our sponsors is Quince. And I love Quince, but Lynn on our team came roaring into the Boston studios today, and you were wearing a brand new cashmere sweater from Quince. Why do you love it? I love everything about that sweater. I don't wanna take it off. It feels so comfy and cozy. I feel like I'm wearing a cloud, literally. And can we talk about the fact that it was $50? When you get it, you're gonna be like, wait a minute, this is a $500 sweater. This is not bargain shopping. This is getting something that is luxurious and fabulous because you deserve that, but at an awesome price. And here's what I also love about it. Even though it's getting warm, I still love a cashmere sweater because they're breathable, they're soft, they're fabulous. And even in warm weather, you need something for a cool night. And Lynn, if you love their cashmere, wait till you pair it with a pair of their linen pants. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash mel for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot slash mel. To get free shipping and 365 day returns, Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash mel. So I want to uh, end with some tools that people can use. Mm-hmm. So one of the ones that you talk about that um, whenever I share it, I obviously credit you that people just love this and that's gray rock.
1: Yeah, so gray rocking and that, you know, I can't even take credit from that. Gray rocking is something that's been around for a long time. And gray rocking is, gray rocking is a response to the constant baiting that happens in a narcissistic relationship. Narcissistic people love to fight because it makes you look crazy. Right? If you're getting frothed up, ah, now you're raging kind of like them and they're like, "Oh, you need to calm down." That's a form of gaslighting too. They get you worked up and then they look at you like you're the one who's unhinged. So, the way in some ways to bring down that baiting is just completely d- disengage in the most absolute but you you're not going no contact, but you're saying, "Yes, No. Okay. I didn't know that. Sure.
0: Now, now let me ask you a question mm -hmm. about this. Because in our family, somebody has had a situation where there was an ex blowing up their phone and Snapchat. Rage, 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 which once I learned that this was happening, um, a lot of other young women chimed in. Oh, well, I've had somebody do that. And, you know, it's been dismissed because they're mm-hmm. drunk or because mm-hmm. they're this or because yep, they're yep. upset or because I'm the ex mm-hmm. or because I'm dating somebody new. And, you know, we're talking 75 texts over the course of one evening. Pick up your phone. Why aren't you? I know you're ignoring That's abuse. me. That's abuse. So when it comes to that, do you, you don't respond at all because aren't they looking for the response? Yeah. Aren't they seeking the attention? Right. Now you can see in a situation like this
1: with gray rocking, like you, you're you like, okay, I'm not responding to this kind of stuff. The behavior's going to escalate for a while and that escalation scares people. So the gray, and gray rocking is, it's, if you're going to gray rock as an, as an pathway to an exit to what's ultimately called no contact, which is a really, really, stringent characteristic that a lot of people can't follow because yes. they're in families, they're, they are they have to co-parent, all those things, you know, whatever it may be. Full no contact is, is, when people do it, they're like, this is great. Like I never have to have anything to do with them again. But it's not always possible. So the gray rocking will initially enrage the narcissistic person. If you can white knuckle it
0: for long enough. How long? It and depends on the a, person. This is an excellent Excellent example for those of you yep. that are in, in a contentious divorce, yep. Yep. for those of you that are dealing with child custody issues. And so you have to negotiate after the divorce drop-offs so- or exes. And so pay attention to this because you are correct. If you ignore them, they explode because they want your attention. Right. And so now they're going to escalate it to try to get it.
1: So now here's, this is where a, a, a friend and colleague of mine developed something called Yellow Rock. Tina Swithin, who um, does amazing work in, in the space of contentious narcissistic divorce. She came up with Yellow Rock. And the idea of Yellow Rock is not so much the yes, no, like you're almost like so dull, but it's like, yeah, sure. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. There's emotion. There's lilt. There might even be like, oh, you went there? Oh, did you like that? Oh, that that's that new grocery store, right? You're not talking about anything. But Yellow Rock isn't so dire. Now, in your obsessive texting example, that's a different kind of a situation because that's a case where you just don't respond. Correct. Right? And you save it all. And if it continues like that, you actually might even need to con- involve well, law enforcement. We
0: involved... Uh, Chris, my husband, yeah. he sent mm-hmm. a text back mm-hmm. saying, we'll involve mm-hmm. law enforcement. Yeah, exactly. Knock it off.
1: So it, it worked. The, yeah, it works. It, in many cases, but in some cases it does not. And there's actually a threshold of the number of communications that have to happen for it to qualify to get law enforcement involved. You know, so they it can't be 10 or 20. I mean, it's, it's such a vast number. They're like, oh, so for me to be fully traumatized is the only reason, <laughs> only way law enforcement will respond. And it's true. Those bars are set in a way that it's, it's, it's hard to intervene, but in ordinary situations where it is a lot of the, they're trying, where were you on Saturday night? What were you doing? Oh, your friend coming over and say, Oh yeah, everything's fine. Like you're, it's, it's very Stepford-y like, da, 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 da. but for kids to see gray rocking parents actually is quite traumatizing. That, that devoid of emotion, robotic feel is unsettling for kids it can be unsettling in the workplace so with yellow rocking i always say to people have a list of in, inert innocuous topics to talk about the weather the freeway's going to be closed on friday it's um you know it's uh, can you believe it's only a month till this holiday like you you have those topics in your back pocket and then there can be a lot of that and once they start baiting then the next technique I recommend people use after gray or yellow rocking is I tell them don't go deep. And don't go deep means don't defend, don't engage, don't explain,
0: don't personalize. Oh, that was an acronym everybody. Yeah, deep. Don't defend, don't, don't explain, don't, don't engage. Engage, don't personalize. What is don't personalize me. So can you give us an example of how this works? So
1: don't, so a person's coming at you with like, Oh, great. Great. Yeah. I can see. Oh, what is this? One of your loser friends having one of their stupid fundraisings for one more of their causes. Like, uh, yeah, your friend's like an idiot loser. So sure. Yeah. uh Uh-huh. Well, let's, let's give, let's give this person more money. You know, I don't even know why you're friends with these people. Like, is that how pathetic So you're the noise, they come at you trying to isolate you, right? You don't defend your friends. You don't say, oh, she means so well. She's raised so much money for this community. You don't explain what the charity does. You don't engage in the back and forth and you don't make it about you this has nothing to do with you that has to do with their, their insecurity tem- their temper tantrum their their tantrum their insecurity they're being set off and you and you you this is where it's this is a hard one People say i told mary i was going i rsvp i'm going to be going
0: do you say I'm sorry?
1: No. Why would you? What did you do I don't wrong? Because I'm conditioned to. <laughs> I don't so know. Hard. Just no, want to keep you I happy. i sorry. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, if I, girl, if I could set up an app that could identify. I think you would going to shock me. Oh, no, my that, Lord. It, that every time a person says, I'm sorry, they did get like a little shock through their watch or that like
0: a ring. That is the worst ring. thing you could say to a narcissist. It, I'm sorry. It, well, no, it's the worst thing you could say for yourself. Why are you apologizing? We're back to the guilt. Because I have been conditioned to believe correct. that if I do something that makes you mad or disappointed or isn't what you want, That I'm bad. That's that's you. That's a you thing. That's your work.
1: Because I'm going to Mary's fundraiser. I am going to Mary's fundraiser. Why should I say I'm sorry? I RSVP'd four weeks ago. I am not getting into Mary's character assassination because you feel threatened. I'm none of that. You're just I RSVP'd a month ago. I'm planning on going. I'll be leaving at seven. Done.
0: You do it with a smile on your face. I'll tell you. I just sit here and think why on earth would you put up with that in your life? Maybe the, I'm the combative. Good you know what yeah, I mean? Nope, Maybe nope, I'm combative. Mel, and Mel. I'm like, listen, asshole, I make my own money and I'm going to uh, give it to whoever mm-hmm. the fuck I
1: want. It's the good days and the bad days because you actually had a really nice dinner out on Saturday night. And and they had a bad day today, and they're stressed Uh out, and they had a lot of childhood trauma. And and relationships are hard, and everything's compromised, and they don't really mean it, and blah 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 blah. So if you could break, get into the multiple truths, break out. Oh yeah, there's multiple truths. Say like I I can't be judgy. I'm sorry. married to a person who's who's an asshole. Yeah, I was just going to (laughs) say deeply insecure and reactive. Which is code for ass. See, asshole <laughs> is the one tidy word that gets at that. But I am married to a deeply insecure person who is a rager. That is who I'm married to. It that is, is a truth. And say that sentence out loud. It, it it all relates to a concept called cognitive dissonance. We don't like it when incompatible things are happening. That's true. So we, to break the tension, we justify.
0: That's true. So it's like the truth, the, the, the things that are true are I am married to somebody Who's who an is asshole. an insecure jerk, right? Yeah because of childhood drama, whatever, and 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 rages. I also have children with this person. Mm-hmm. I also don't want to go through the nightmare of divorcing mm-hmm. this person. I'm mm-hmm. going to work on my own stuff right. in order to have that cognitive, psychological mm-hmm. dissonance, to, in order to figure out my own stuff. But you can see after you do all that, you know how people feel? They feel
1: sad. They're like... This is my life. Yes, cuz once you
0: actually wake up and do yes, the work, oh, boom. you it. just did that's a Trojan it. horse. We want you to go to therapy so you become more confident and more self-aware that you actually do not deserve this. Correct. This is not your fault. The weather yep. in Chicago weather is something Chicago. you can't change. Oh sneaky. I like that. Yeah, all I like it. that kind of you personal empowerment. All about
1: therapy is always about finding those back doors and you can't walk in the front door. That's no. the, we learned that in day
0: one of therapy. Class. Yeah. That's amazing. Wow. You are so smart. Mm, you I'm are so, so sure smart. So one takeaway or like a cut, what takeaways do you want Uh, people to like really talking to somebody who just had a wake up call. Cause we also learned that if you truly are somebody that has a narcissistic personality, you're thinking that none of this applies to you. But if you're uh, listening and you're starting to think of people in your life, whether it's at work or friendships or siblings or the person that you're in a relationship with or parents or grandparents, what are some of the key takeaways that you hope people have gained um, from this doctor. You're not to blame for someone else's
1: personality. You can't change them. Um, you have the right to. You, you have the right to your independent autonomous life separate from other people, opinions, feelings, needs. Um, and. Above all else I want to let people know that there are many people out there who hear this and say, "Well, I got to go. I got to leave this relationship." And some people do. They they end contact or really suspend contact with a family member or even a parent. They um they may end a romantic relationship, they may start doubting their own marriage, they may even consider quitting a job or whatever. But then they they start saying, but I want to go back, but I miss the person, but I'm having second thoughts, but we're getting back together. But I showed up at the family wedding anyhow. And what I tell people is this isn't about an all or nothing. And you will be pulled back because there's no talking your way out of a trauma bond. A trauma bond is something you feel. Some people will say, the idea of no longer talking to my mom or no longer being this marriage, I feel sick. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't do this. I feel, literally feel sick inside mm-hmm. inside of me. So that's a real physical feeling. And it's understanding that these incompatibilities leave us feeling uncomfortable. We do get pulled back in. We. They, it's for me to keep saying to people, This is not, this, this is not going to change and it is not your fault and it is all internal to them. And this is what the apparatus looks like. But even on those days when you feel sad, because there's, this is a landscape characterized by grief. There's so this was my childhood. I never got to have a real childhood. I didn't ever let my dreams launch. I got into a crappy marriage. I may never have a normal adult relationship. I screwed up my kids. This is real grief. There's no soft peddlings. You don't get a do over on this Mm. stuff. And so for people... Some of these negative emotions do echo through a lifetime. Mm. And I, it's not, I'm, I wish I could sit here and say something fluffy like, "And one day you'll never think about this again. What I want to tell people is that one, you're going to learn to coexist with that pain and you're slowly going to find your voice. And it's almost like if you had a really bad accident or injury. Every, even if you could fully do your physical therapy and heal, every so often you're going to step on that leg the wrong way. You're going to be like, ouch. And you're reminded. And it is a, it doesn't all just go away. You start learning the workarounds and you understand that there's going to be good days and bad days, because I think setting an overly sunny kind of a path for healing can lead people who feel like they're not healing fast enough, feeling ashamed. And as so though they can't even heal, right? There is no healing, right? This will take as long as it takes. There will be good days and bad. But if you're willing to give yourself permission to take yourself and reality back, there actually is a path forward and survivors of narcissistic abuse often go on to do amazing things. They, they write amazing things. They create, they, 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 there's a creativity and it's almost like a WTF of it all. Like, all right, you know, at this point, why not? Like I survived this mess. Why not? (laughs) And they'll do some really cool, fun, they'll blog, they'll, they'll self-publish books. They'll Start businesses. Um, they'll go back to school. I remember one woman I worked with, she's like, eh, I went back to school. I was 75 when I graduated, but I finally finished college after being told I was an, a moron, a fool, an ass for 50 years. And she's like, "I'm not gonna work," but I, I did it. And the pride that was felt. The survivor stories are remarkable. They're small. They're big. It's the person. Who, my favorite was the person who said she, she, her, she was, and an, she's an amazing cook. And a malignant narcissistic marriage, many, many years. She baked his favorite cake, and she um, gave it to uh, people who were um, homeless in her neighborhood. And she's like, eat this because i am never eaten this kind of cake and they loved it. And so, you know, some people actually said, I actually cooked their favorite meal and threw it out. Some people don't like to throw out food. I get that. Um, Some people had a big blowout party on the night of what would have been their malignant narcissistic ex's birthday party and said, I got to put this behind me. It, the It This can take so many forms. Some people go back to school and become therapists. Some people become coaches. They well, help people You know what I love about it. this,
0: Dr. Romani, is that like... N- When you understand something Mm -hmm. and there is this intense fascination with narcissism and so many of us Mm -hmm. have experiences uh, with it, but when you understand it and when you have a few simple tools from an expert like you, it does become an opportunity for growth. Mm -hmm. It becomes an Mm -hmm. opportunity Mm -hmm. for Mm self-awareness, for self-compassion, that just because the weather in Chicago can't be changed and you can't change what that other person is Mm -hmm. doing That multiple things can be true, but the thing that we know is always true is that if you're willing to put in the work, you can make the situation that you're in better for yourself Yes, because you can change the way that you show up. You can change the boundaries that you have. You can change the way that you internalize things or not. Yeah. And people who are going through these relationships
1: are sometimes thinking, I almost don't want to be happy because it's such a contrast to what I'm in, in this relationship. So it's almost, it's a sense of, okay, maybe I'll just going to, I'm going to, I'm not going to take care of me because me not taking care of me fits. It's again, that making it all fit. I say, find those ways because they're, I call them these tiny acts of rebellion, the way you squeeze in. Cause if you exercise and they know about it, like, Oh, why are you wasting time? You must have a lot of leisure time if you can exercise. But then you realize like, Oh, I have 18 minutes before they get home. And you jump on the treadmill or you throw on the yoga, um, channel on your, whatever YouTube you watch and you, you do it. Like you find these tiny acts of rebellion that you could do. You every day, you have a goal and each day for 365 days, you do one thing towards the goal. And maybe you finish that degree online. And here's the win. Never, ever tell the narcissistic person your dreams. Never, ever tell them your aspirations because they will mock you and they will dismantle you. And they will even try to get in the way of them. The rebellion is to go and pursue those dreams without them ever knowing. And once you've done it, You've done it. You don't even have to share it. And what's really fun to watch is when the narcissist hears from someone else like, wow, did you hear about that whole thing they set up? And the person's like, why didn't you tell me? And like, ah, it didn't seem like that big a deal. And "Mm," you just get it in there, but never share your dreams with them.
0: Wow. I'm thinking about this moment in a speech where I was in the audience and um, it was a women's conference and this woman stood up and she was talking about how she had this massive dream of getting this degree online. And that her husband wouldn't allow it. And I remember thinking how sad it was to realize that she was trapped in this life. And, you know, the thing that I wanna say is that these tiny acts of rebellion, if you feel like you're trapped in this and there's multiple things that are true these tiny 18-minute moments of rebellion are almost like digging a tunnel. They are. That allow you over time to escape Mm -hmm. because every time you do something that is for you first and you don't feel the need Mm -hmm. to share it or get permission and you keep showing up every day and you do that exercise or you do that meditation or you take that online Mm -hmm. class and you don't seek the permission or validation from that narcissist, if you start to exercise that muscle, Mm At some point, you're going to wake up and you're going to realize, oh my God, I'm actually above ground and outside the jail. Why did I I stay in there? Okay, I'm not going to validate myself. But I'm ready to make a big change now. Uh, you you start to see, I can do stuff. You
1: you By doing the, those tiny acts of rebellion, there's something in you that gets awoken. You're like, I can do stuff. And maybe I am strong enough to do this or to do that. You meet other people. You get validated in different ways. You get the A on the paper. And the professor says, wow, like, why aren't you going to graduate school after all those years of being invalidated to have someone say, there's something special about you. Just that one conversation can change the course of somebody's life, but that's only going to happen when you do all these tiny acts of rebellion. And that might be one of the most important steps to survivorship. This isn't about like storming out and like, oh, I'm leaving you, but you can do all these little things because I know leaving can feel overwhelming for mm-hmm. people and whatever that might be. It might be reading an entire set of literature it might be learning another language. You can do that on your own time too, but whatever it looks like that's somehow getting that new skill actualizing that dream and not letting them know about it or harm it can it it can awaken something in you the real you that may actually allow you to start really distancing from this relationship if not physically definitely psychologically
0: I just also like felt really empowered because I realized that's also something that we can do as friends and sisters and Mm -hmm. siblings and seeing other people that are in these situations validating somebody, you know, not being, not doing the thing that I probably would have done in the past, which is why don't you leave him? Like, why don't mm-hmm. you cut him off? Like mm-hmm. just validating the small moves of independence and rebellion mm-hmm. that somebody's making and being uh, being somebody who is an ally in that mm-hmm. is a way that you can support someone. Oh, thank you, Matt. I, I can't believe I learned even more from you Good. today. That's that's, that's the idea. And what I love about what I learned today is that it will help me with the healing part of this. Yes, that's the key. Because
1: you know what? Listen, I am telling you now, I am amazed at how many survivors I meet. And I wish my students, when I taught at the university, could have given me as good a rundown. Like they're giving me, like they get this. So I'm like, okay, you get this. Now, like you said, even if I get it, that's not enough. I still feel guilty. I still feel pulled two ways. I still feel the sick inside. The healing is about being compassionate, if you will, with that sick you feel inside, but slowly giving yourself permission to little by little disconnect. It's not, you're not going to do it all at once, but month by month we're guiding people to just step back little by little sometimes it's two steps forward i mean three steps forward two steps back but at least that's one step up and it's it's a process as a survivor myself more days than not i feel good but there are moments i don't and i feel like i have no right to even be talking to people about this and i'm like oh maybe because i say that i, I do have every right to talk to people about this and it's a you know it, it, this is a journey into not only humility but it's about seeing yourself and recognizing this is an issue that's affecting everyone in the world. Mm. This is a global issue. We are making narcissists our heroes. They get all of our attention. They suck all the oxygen out of the world. Let's face it, whether it's in celebrity, politics, business, athletics, their bad behavior is the stuff that we are constantly paying attention to. Imagine Imagine paying attention to people who are well-regulated, warm, kind, Mm. and compassionate. We often view them as, we often view them through a more, I don't know, like weak lens. I actually think they're the strongest people out there. So all you agreeable people, come find me because I do love you, (laughs) especially you agreeable
0: introverts. That's my tribe. Oh, man. Well, you're in my tribe too. Thank you. I love you. All right. that was a lot of information. (laughs) I feel like I I need to go have a seltzer or Diet Coke or something and just let that soak in. I want to thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you got as much out of this episode today with Dr. Romney as I did. And in case you want more information, I mean, that's what happens when I listen to Dr. Romney. I'm like, oh, I want to dig in more. There are resources about Dr. Romney, and there's resources on narcissism. Just go to the show notes that are for every single episode, including this one at melrobbins.com. I always got you covered. And by the way, if you haven't had a chance to listen to that first conversation that we had with Dr. Romney. It was called The Five Signs You're Dealing With a Narcissist and How to Protect Yourself. That one is a couple of weeks ago. Well, you can listen to that and all the episodes of the Mel Robbins podcast on Amazon Music or wherever you get your podcasts. So please do yourself a favor, go check it out, follow the show. And if you got something out of today's show, I can't tell you how many people have been writing to me saying I had no idea that I was in a relationship with a narcissist or that my parents were one, or this explains everything about my boss or somebody in my life. This is life-changing information. So if there's somebody that you know would benefit from this or be interested in it, take a minute and share the episode. Because when you do that, you truly give somebody an opportunity to look at their life and to empower themselves in a whole new way. Oh, and one more thing. In case no one else tells you, I want to tell you something, and I want to tell you something no narcissist will tell you. (laughs) I want to tell you that your friend Mel Robbins is here. I'm here for you Mondays and Thursdays, and I love you, and I believe in you, and I believe in your ability to create a better life. Now go get out there and do it. Stitcher.